You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Marine Corps veteran Jatea Taylor was injured during training, ultimately ending her military career and eventually leading to the amputation of her left leg. She has explored a variety of adaptive sports, but the one that has caught her attention is wheelchair fencing, and she is now pursuing a different dream, to represent the United States at the Paralympic Games. Let's chat with her. So Jatea, I know before you joined the military, um, Sports were a little bit part of your life. So can we talk about, I mean, kind of growing up, how sports was kind of uh, part of uh, of your life and, and um, how important was it in, in terms of who you were and, and what you wanted to do? So, yeah, growing up, I mean, from the age of being able to walk on, there was always some kind of piece of sports equipment in my hand. Um, I mean, even before that, I was in my stroller on the side of a basketball court watching my dad play basketball. <laughs> so, yeah, that basketball was my life pretty much from the day I could walk through high school. And then, of course, growing up in Florida, surfing. <laughs> mm, of course. <laughs> Spent a lot of time surfing and swimming. And then when high school hit, I did JROTC and did athletics. So basically track. and. Okay. Land navigation, so orienteering. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Sports were definitely a major part of growing up. I've done a lot. Um, I was undiagnosed ADHD, so my parents like to keep me very busy. <laughs> so you just dabbled on everything. Yes. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned like like surfing and, and swimming because my early, early years was spent in Hawaii because my dad was stationed at Schofield Barracks and my mom says I learned to swim before I learned to walk so you know because we were we were at Waikiki a tough tough first three years of my life um you know because we were at Waikiki on a regular basis <laughs> oh man so water was important to me too early on <laughs> and and I always ask my fellow veterans their why you know like why did you enlist why did you sign up to to serve in our in our country's military so my family actually has a long history of being in the military, grandfather, great-grandfather, my dad, my uncle. So it was one thing I knew I always wanted to do. And then 9-11 happened. And it just made it even more clear that that was what I was meant to do. That's what I was going to do. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. But, you know, mm-hmm. life happens. Life happens, right? Exactly. And why did you choose the Marines? So I wanted to do linguistics, and I was actually originally supposed to go into the Army. Hmm. But the Army recruiter didn't want to really give me the time of day. So I was like, I'm just going to go talk to the Marine recruiter. He's like, no, you're not. I'm like, oh, yeah? (laughs) Bye. (laughs) And that's how I ended up in the Marine Corps. (laughs) So adios, and and the rest is history, right? Yes. And so what, what was your... Uh, when you enlisted and you signed up, what was your intended, you know, uh, military occupation? What was you? What were you planning and wanting to do? Uh, once so it, it was supposed to be linguistics. Okay. Um, I'm. I love puzzles. I love languages. I love ciphers. Anything that really gets you thinking outside of the box as well. 
So I was supposed to go to Monterey to do linguistic school and everything. And, but it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it wasn't meant to be obviously because you had a training accident and yes. you know, what can, what can you share with us about that, about that accident and, and kind of your thoughts at that moment? Um, so, you know, I had injuries when I was younger. I mean, if you play basketball as many years as I did and never tore an ACL, then you're not playing the sport right. <laughs> um, so I, I had a few ACL injuries growing up, and it always healed. And so when I originally tore my ACL and then messed up my shoulder, they're like, oh, yeah, no, it'll be fine. You don't need surgery. And unfortunately, they were wrong. And so I just kept getting worse and worse. And I just realized as I got physically worse, my dream got farther and farther away of the military until they were like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna medically retire you. And I was like, seriously? <laughs> yeah. And that's obviously a tough, a tough time, right? Cause you're, yeah. you know, you were looking forward to a lot of different things. How long was that? How long was that time frame between obviously just the, the original accident, the training accident and the fine and the time that you were medically retired? So I was put on TDRL, temporary disability leave, and it took two years to finally permanently retire me. It was funny because when I finally, they usually do an eval at, I think it's 12 months, and they actually waited almost that two years to do my eval. Mm. And when I went in, I'm like, look, clear me retire or not retire me, but just separate me and let me get better and then go back in. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. He's like, are you sure? He's like, I'm like, yes. Next thing I know, I get medically retired. I'm like, that is not what we talked about. <laughs> you know, I, I've talked to a few people where that, where the medical retirement was always all of a sudden a surprise and, and, and not something that, that they were particularly right anticipating or, or requesting. So, you know, I took the pay cut before I was even notified of my retirement. I was like, wait a minute, this pay does not what I normally get. And then after a few phone calls, I found out I was supposed to receiving a letter in the mail. So the pay cut came before I was even notified. So I was really confused. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so what, what was life like then? Like, what were you trying to figure out and, and uh, what were you kind of trying to, trying to do? So I'll admit mental health um, was a big concern of mine. And because I the I thought the military is supposed to be my life and career. So I thought tooth and nail mm. that I was going to go back in the military. I was going to reenlist. I was I was going to do this. I had never failed at anything in my life. <laughs> I had never left anything incompleted. And so when I realized that there was no way I was going to be able to change their mind, it I was defeated. Because again, I had never failed at anything. Mm -hmm. And so it it took a few years and my health continuously declined because they just couldn't figure things out. And at one point in time, I was thinking about ways that I could die. Not necessarily that I could kill myself, but how easy it is just to live in this world and end up dead. Mm -hmm. And that's when someone's like, you need to get back into sports. You need to find your old self and the first time I tried adaptive sports, which was with Team River Runner, mm -hmm. yep. adaptive whitewater sports program for veterans, um, it someone had pointed out to me that I had spent so much time looking at that door in front of me that had closed that I didn't see all these awesome doors and opportunities around me. 
Mm. And that was the the changing point that my mental health finally started getting better and I found my new normal. That's an that's an amazing aha moment, right? Because you're right. I mean, and I think a lot of us, a lot of people and all of us at probably it's at various points in our lives, we focus on the closed doors and not the door that's right, you know, that's right around the corner that that's wide open, right? So that's awesome. And 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 why did you decide, you know, to go kayaking or <laughs> with Team River Runner? Why 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 was that the 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 thing that might have been the light bulb for you? It was funny because I moved out to Denver, Colorado in 2011, and I was at the VA. And I ran into another female veteran and she's mm. like, hey, we do this program. Come check it out. And I'm like, nah, I just moved out here. I really don't want to. I just want to sit in my apartment and sulk because <laughs> 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 I was also doing my, uh, I was in school at the time and mm. I just things weren't going well in any aspect of my life. And she's finally like, you go or I'm going to keep bothering you. And I went <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> it definitely took a big push. And I'm glad that she had stuck with me through that time. So sometimes we all need pushed, right? And we need that one right? person to help push us. Well, and then I was in a whole new area with veterans, anyone I didn't know, and going like far away from Denver, 45 minutes away from Denver to go kayak at a place I didn't know, a people I didn't know. And I hadn't kayaked before my injury so i was also doing something new and it it definitely taking a jump into the unknown was something i had never really ever done before or i felt less able to do it after my injury so just a little bit of interpretation or or just a fear of the unknown type of kind of creeping in a little bit huh? right well the, the fear of failure as well yeah because yeah. I never had that fear. And all of a sudden, bam, I get the smack in the face. It was a wake up that you're not always going to be perfect and succeed at everything. And so that fear of failing really kind of took a hold of me and it took a while to beat it back. <laughs> and if I remember right, that's what around 2012, 2013, when you first went on that kayaking trip? Uh, So yeah, 20, 2011, I the end of 2011, I started with them. And then by 2012, I became the the chapter veteran coordinator. So I was kind of in charge of coordinating things and I had just learned how to kayak. And I'm like, how am I good for this position? I don't even know how to do whitewater yet. Well, you got um, roped in early. and, and <laughs> Yes. And I think that was their way of kind of making sure I stick around too. <laughs> well, well, clearly it worked. Cause I know since that time frame, you've done a lot of different adaptive sports. I know like, yes. um, and with a lot of moving United member organizations. So Team River Runner obviously is moving United member organization. You've done yes. stuff and with NCD, National Sports Center for the Disabled. I did yeah. some because that's Team River Runner was working with them at the time. Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. And I think you've done some stuff with Adaptive Sports Association and Yes. Steamboat Stars and Yes. Uh, yes. I I definitely once I got started, it was like a bug. Like and I just, definitely yeah. got around, yes. And uh, and then I think you came out to Ski Spec, right? Did you come out to Ski Spectacular in Breckenridge one year? Yes, I did. That was actually just under a year after my amputation. I went out and did, um, oh no, that was, sorry, that was before my amputation. But yes, I have done that. And that was, that was amazing. You know, do you remember who you would have went, went there with? Was it one of the, you know, hospitals or was so, it? So 
at that time, I was doing Nordic. Okay. I was doing biathlon. So I went out there. I had been training at in Casper, Wyoming. Yes. And so I had gone out through doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Because there's a great Nordic camp there that, that yes. we during, during in Breckenridge too each, each year. So that's cool. Yeah. I'd noticed, I had noticed that you had, had gone out with us um, at, you know, at that event at one point in time. And, and then where did competition kind of come into play? Cause I know you did like Valor games and some other, like, what were you, or were you at that point just trying to figure out what you wanted to kind of that, focus on? <laughs> that was, that is exactly it. Um, I needed the introduction to sports and team member was like, they're out there. You mm -hmm. just have to look for them. And so actually that was my first adaptive competition was doing Valor games, uh, in California. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the best place to start because it was also very introductory. Mm -hmm. And that led to me doing the National Veterans Wheelchair Games, mm -hmm. which led me to getting seen by um, the coach at the time for Casper, Wyoming, uh, the biathlon yeah. team. And then it from there, it kind of went into mono skiing, snowboarding, and it just, I am a very competitive person. I want to compete competitively, but I was always good at basketball, but doing it in a chair was not the same. So mm. I was like, let me just try all these different sports here and there and see where it gets me. And that's actually how I ended up with fencing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I always, when I interact with folks, you know, when I'm at, at an abilities expo or some other event is, is I, that's my message just to try as many sports as possible. Cause you know, the first one you try may may not stick. You may not like it. It may frustrate you. You may want to give up on it. You may not be good at it, but then try another one because that's that's how you do develop kind of a passion and an interest and a and a fire. And I definitely want to talk about fencing because I know that 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 that's become a fire in your in your belly, if you will, for for yes. you know in, in recent in recent months and in years. And and the but before we talk about that, I wanted to talk about you mentioned your amputation. So I know that you had an ac the accident. And the, the military, the accident was in 20, 2005. When, mm -hmm. when, and how did the, that decision come about of of going through the amputation? So in twenty, I had always ended up using canes, um, braces, crutches, and I have a lot of other medical issues and a genetic disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome that oh. we didn't know about, which was complicating all my care. And so in 2013, I was basically stuck at home. I couldn't get out and do stuff. And then that's when I'm like, I need a wheelchair. There's there's no way I can continue to live life the way I am. And after I ended up in the wheelchair, I'm like, I really want to walk again. And so it was considered an elective amputation. Mm -hmm. And I had to fight tooth and nail because no one wanted to do it. I was even told I would never walk again, even with a knee replacement or an amputation. Oh, really? Um, yes. And so with all the naysayers, I was just like, you don't know me. You don't know my body like I do. And that was finally in 2017, um, February 2017, I was finally able to push through the barriers and get my amputation, which was a knee disarticulation. So mm. through the knee joint, which was a, another battle in itself because only like 2% of amputees are that level. Mm. 
Yeah, and and I, I think it your your message is is right on. So I know for those that are listening, you have to be your own advocate, right? Sometimes, and and those that I've spoken to. Uh, that have elected essentially to have an amputation. It was a quality of life issue, and it was. And many that I've talked to said it was the right decision. So sometimes you have to just be your own advocate, your own health advocate, your own medical advocate, and you know what, as you said, you know what's best for your body. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of the thing that if I had listened to the doctors, even my dad didn't want me to have it done. I was like, if I chose not to have it done. I didn't have want to have regrets because I would have been a mad at whoever told me not to get it done. Mm-hmm. If I made a choice to get it done, I wasn't happy. That would have been on me. And mm-hmm. I could live with that. But I didn't want to have regrets because I listened to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 so obviously you undergo that elective uh, amputation. And um, how what was it like, you know, in terms of getting back to like being able to get gain some ability and and how was it how did it impact your quality of life you know after obviously after some recovery and whatnot but <laughs> yeah so my dad laughs because um right after two weeks after I got my leg I had to leave Walter Reed because I couldn't afford to stay out there anymore um so I went to my family's house in Florida and my dad is like I haven't seen you smell like that in a long time Um, I was able to walk without holding on to anything. The first couple of days they put my leg on me, um, within the first two weeks, I started trying to figure out how to run on a leg that was not meant for running. And I went surfing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I had gone back within weeks, you you were going, you're going two weeks of getting my prosthetic for the first time. Mm -hmm. I was doing all that. And I went back to Walter Reed, um, a little bit after that, and I showed my surgeon photos and videos, and he's like, I'm glad that you convinced me to do this. I'm sorry it took so long. Mm. And that was the beginning of me exploring new things I had never done, like learning how to stand up water ski, doing just, <laughs> it was a whole new door that opened that I never expected. So, Speaking of unexpected doors, how did you come across fencing? <laughs> yeah, that's another low point in my life that I something neurological is going on and I couldn't do my biathlon. I was not physically able to do sled hockey and a lot of sports I had grown to love. And my local VA, the Denver VA rec therapist reached out to me and they're like, we have a new rec therapy program that we're working with this local fencing center. And so they're like, yeah, it's Denver Fencing Center. We're going to go out there. We're just going to see what happens. And I went and I did it with them three times and I liked it. It was okay. It Mm -hmm. was something new. And then I left for three, three or so months. (laughs) And I kind of put it out of my mind because I had medical stuff going on. And then I came back to Denver and I was honestly on the fence, whether I was going to go back to doing fencing and a fencer who had just moved into the state, we met at the the Denver Dragon Boat Festival. <laughs> and because we have an adaptive team that does it with adaptive adventures. Yeah. And we have our which, tent which, and she which came I've up. been to. I've been to the Denver Dragon Boat Festival on that lake. Yes, it's great. <laughs> and so we have a our adaptive adventures tent. And I just happen to be sitting at the table talking to people. And this lady walks up and she introduced herself. Um, we call her Mama T, and she had just moved to Colorado in the area and she wanted to 
you know, learn about the adoptive stuff we did. And she said she did fencing. It's like, yeah, I tried that a few times. She's like, are you going to go back? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. She's like, no, the, it wasn't a question. <laughs> you you will go back because she actually had me come out and help her do a demo at um, no barriers. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I enjoyed doing the demo. She's like, there's no reason why you shouldn't go back to fencing. And that's when it finally clicked. And I went back and it, that's all she wrote. Now I'm there, what, four out of seven days a week fencing. <laughs> now it is your life, right? Right. <laughs> and why do you think it, what do you think the difference was between, you know, the, that first three times that you did it and then like the time that it when, when it did click? So there's always a learning curve and I have always been good at things when I first start. And so I'm not used to getting my butt handed to me <laughs> and failing. And so it was, it was like, okay, this is recreational, but I'm looking for competition and I didn't see myself going far enough to be competitive but with time and guidance from literally everyone it it changed to where I was getting better but I still didn't see where I was and then the coach walked up to me and he's like yeah you know what we're gonna train you up LA 2028 that that is our goal and I was like oh you really think so hmm. and he's like yes I was like okay LA 2028 I'm gonna stick with it then because this has always been my dream to compete in the Paralympics and I this this sport at a left field uh -huh. is what I'm apparently good enough to do to get there yeah well and you get to wear the uniform again right just a different uniform yes wearing a U.S. uniform just a different Different Still time. with Taylor on it. Still That's with the right. last name. <laughs> and and, um, and so how's your how's that progression been going? I mean, I know that um, we first connected, obviously, after the, the World uh, Fencing Championship or, or Cup that was hosted in the United States for like the first time in two decades. How did you do there, for example? So my first event was foil and I got my butt handed to me. I won one bout and I only had like two touches after that. Mm. And I broke a strap in my wheelchair <laughs> and everything was going wrong. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, okay. I, I knew it was going to be hard. I was mm -hmm. just going for experience, not to, to do anything but that. Mm -hmm. And then Epe came up and something just clicked in me that was like, you just need to get your head in the game. You're not here just to experience. You're here to fight mm. and see what you really truly can do. And I ended up getting in the top 16, um, getting some good points against upper level folks who have been fencing for years, been to the Paralympics. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I actually had someone come up to me and like, in pools, they're like, you shouldn't have beat her. She's a Paralympian. But not only did I beat her in pools, then I beat her in direct elimination. So mm -hmm. I'm like, well, something's good and I'm doing something right. And then that's when they're like, yeah, Paris 2024. And I'm like, what happened to the other four years of <laughs> preparing? <laughs> so they, they moved up your timeline or possible timeline, right? <laughs> Yes, um, which was ecstatic because I never thought I would get that far. Um, I've been putting in the work, but yeah. things just, you know, don't always work out for me. I am literally Murphy's Law incarnate. <laughs> and it does take time. I mean, you yes. know, in any sport to, you know, probably reach that, 
you know, kind of pinnacle and elite. I mean, I mean, you're obviously already competing at the elite level, but, but to reach, you know, to get, to get everything under your belt and to get that experience was, was the, uh, the Virginia competition, your first international competition? Yes, mm, it yeah. was. Cause that was my third competition. I had done a, what we call a walk and roll when I first started. And that's where it's a competition that includes pair and able-bodied. So when it's my turn to fence, the able-bodies sit in the chair and fence me, hmm. which is a great experience for them because they get to see how it is for us to fence. And a yeah. lot of them love it. And then I did a competition in October and that was more local. We had one international person and that was in the men's group. And there was like a handful of us females and that was my first true competition. And then yeah, worlds in January. <laughs> so, so that's a definitely a big jump from, you know, a couple competitions to a, to an international level yeah. uh, competition with some of the, the best around the world, as you, as you said, and now, and then, I know you mentioned Epe and, and foil from, for those that are, are listening and may not know the difference between the two, just quickly, you know, kind of describe the, the difference between the two. So I'm going to do this real basic because I'm still learning. Epe, the whole upper body is a target. Mm-hmm. Foil is the upper body minus your arms. Okay. And so it's it's just, it changes the target area. And it... Yeah, that that's how I think of it. But there's also what we call right away. So in Epe, you can score whenever you want. In foil, you actually take turns scoring. And so if if there's a question of whose point it is, it'll go to who had quote unquote right away. Ah. Like racing a train. You know, you you gotta figure out you're probably gonna lose. So you go back <laughs> to defense because that train's coming at you. <laughs> Well, that's a good way. To, no, that is a good way to describe it. And then, the, and then, the, yeah, just the the smaller target area basically is also the the big difference. And, and I think yes. that helps because most people probably wouldn't know what the difference between epe and and foil might be. Right. And and so I know that you know folks mentioned um, uh, Paris, and obviously that's just you know a year or so away. Um, what do you think it would take for you to you know? be able to reach Paris. Uh, and then a, a follow-up question is if, you know, if Paris isn't in the cards, then obviously are you still, you know, seeing that, 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 that you're just working towards 2028. So I'm going to answer the last question first. And uh-huh. basically is it doesn't matter whether I'm truly going to make it to Paris or not, or to LA 2028, it's practice, 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 like I am mm-hmm. going to make it. And so it, it definitely takes a lot of time and devotion, which is hard because I am working on a master's in public health right now and my medical stuff. So it's definitely getting a little bit more balance in my life, not letting foil run me down. I mean, foil, sorry, not letting fencing run me down, but mm-hmm. also making sure I'm putting in a good amount of time of practice. Yeah. And, and that's a tough balance, right? Because I mean, you want to make sure that it's always still fun, hopefully, right? And that you're still enjoying yeah. it. And at some point in time, if you're, you know, if if it's, it feels like work, then it's, you know, it may, it may not feel like fun. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't want to run my passion out of it. But it definitely, I never thought I would get as much of a workout doing this sport as I am. So I'm enjoying it. And it's, I'm more gravitated to it now, especially since I get a good workout. And so it makes my body feel better, even with the medical stuff I'm going through right now. And so 
I also sometimes will forget though that I will go and do a couple hours or three hours of just straight fencing and then not be able to do anything for the next few days because I overdid it. Mm. <laughs> and then I was like, I really don't want to sit here and do my homework because I'm sore. <laughs> <laughs> I wore myself out across the board. I don't want to do anything. Like, man, an eight o'clock doctor's appointment. Seriously, I shouldn't have fenced so late last night. <laughs> <laughs> and so what's on the What's on the docket for you over the next, you know, few months? I, uh, I know we're talking while you're at a camp. Are you? Are there some competitions? Other competitions coming up? What are some other things that you're doing? So this summer is definitely a whirlwind for me. Um, we are. I'm currently in Gainesville, Florida, right now with our national coach and some of the other members of T- Team USA Wheelchair Fencing for our camp. And then the first weekend in March, we have championships in Texas, hmm. and then. What a week, week and a half later, we're in uh, Pisa, Italy for Worlds. Wow. And then I come back and I'm hopefully we'll have surgery and they'll deal with the neurological issues. And then the middle of April, <laughs> we're back in Italy. Oh, wow. <laughs> for Worlds again. And then it kind of gets complicated because I had pre existing engagements. So I'm actually going to be hand cycling. A short ways across Africa. So I'll be gone for two months, May and June. And then literally the week I get back, there's Warsaw, Poland for fencing. Oh my goodness. That is a whirlwind. <laughs> yes. You have to tell me about this Africa trip. This sounds interesting. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> it was supposed to happen last year, but with COVID and everything and some of the unrest and a lot of the countries will be cycling through, we didn't go. But our Group is called Bidietu, which means our resilience or our resiliency in Swahili. Mm-hmm. And our lead, uh, he has done a lot of work in Africa with his wife and public health and other areas. And he has grown to love the country. And he was an avid, able-bodied cyclist. And then he was diagnosed with his like Mary Chartooth disease or something, and mm. which has changed his ability to cycle. So then he took up hand cycling. Mm. But he always wanted to ride his bike across Africa. So he's like, this is this is going to be my time. This could be my chance. And so right now there's three or four of us that will be hand cycling and we will be working with able bodies to help us get through this. And we're also working to sponsor um some hand cyclists who live in Africa. So right now we have, uh, I think he's an incomplete quad that will be hand cycling with us. Oh my goodness. Yes. So this is a trip he put together basically? Yes. And so, yeah, we're doing a lot of fundraising and stuff, but it's our, our, the way we look at this is it's a, a crazy adventure created by people with disabilities for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, basically showing we can do anything we put our mind to. And so where are you, where is the starting point? Where's the ending point? So if I remember correctly, because it has changed a little bit, we're going to be starting in Namibia and we'll be ending in either South Africa or Eswatini. Okay. I can't remember exactly because there's a lot of unrest and we're worried about roads and accessibility and not getting run over by the lorries um, (laughs) or chased by wild game. So mm-hmm. right, <laughs> yeah. I might see you. Uh, yeah, see you as uh, as an appetizer or something. You uh, just got to be the fastest one on the hand cycle. That's true. <laughs> that's true. 
Well, I, I, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, that's an interesting, uh, and, and I'm, I know it's going to be an amazing uh, experience. I know I, I spent three and a half weeks in Nigeria, and so I know that you know just seeing that you know that country and that part of the world is is just a, a unique experience. And I, I'm, I can't wait to connect with you again to to learn more. And and you mentioned a, a master's of, of public health. So, what did you get your bachelor you know bachelor's degree in? And then why are you pursuing uh, the master's degree in public health? So my bachelor's was from West Virginia University, and I did recreation parks and tourism resources with a minor in adventure leadership. Hmm. So I love the outdoors. Mm-hmm. I love being outdoors, teaching about the outdoors and getting people into the outdoors. And when my health started to get worse, I realized being a park ranger probably wasn't going to be a lifetime or career. Again, <laughs> this big old wall comes down and says, nope, that's not that's not your goal. That's not your plan. That's not what you're going to do in life. And so I kind of backpedaled. I was actually doing a master's in legal studies hmm. and my health got really bad. I started having panic attacks and what we thought were seizures and other things. And so I had stopped doing that. And when I decided to go back to school during COVID in 2020, I was going to restart that master's. And I spoke with a student counselor. She's like, hearing your story, have you ever thought about public health? I was like, what is that? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I hear it a little bit dealing with COVID, but what what is public health? And then she's basically, you know, you can help people not go through what you went through or teach people about, you know, adversity and resiliency. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what kind of led me to doing a master's in public health. And that's also what led me to BDET too, because we'll be stopping and talking to different uh, advocacy groups and disability groups and just spreading awareness. Mm. And when do you, when will you complete that, your master's? My master's? <laughs> so it's funny because we leave for Africa for BDET too, uh, May 8th. Uh-huh. I finished my last class May 10th. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So you're on your way. Yes. And Jay, what, 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 you know, I know that you've gone through a lot. And so what advice do you give to others just based on what you've learned about your journey and, and what, you know, what, what kind of uh, suggestions could you give others that might be, you know, dealing with some things like that as well? So one of the first things that I learned was you have to be a self-advocate. You have to educate yourself. Don't rely on anyone to do it for you. Because even people with the best intentions don't necessarily understand how that will affect you. The second one, which took me the longest to learn, is don't be afraid to fail. Mm. A lot of times we don't want to do things or try things because we don't want to look stupid. (laughs) (laughs) definitely over that now (laughs) because it's definitely prevented me from doing a lot of things I wish I had done in my life. 